Um, the week before last, we told you that we were going to start. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't supposed to be a series. It was supposed to be a one message uh, about kind of the way that we do things. Um, typically, our service goes that we start out in prayer. We um, take offering, tithes, offerings, then we go into singing, we go into preaching, and then we have an altar call and um, or an invitation, and then uh, sometimes we have fellowship. And so um, just kind of the thought uh, came to my mind, especially in today's time where it seems like everybody is wanting to change the way old-fashioned churches do, uh, I figured we'd we'd get some biblical reasons of why we do these things, and so that's what we're doing. Uh, last time, the week before last, uh, we dealt with prayer and uh, took all service long. So we'll just turn it all into a series tonight. We'll be dealing with the thought of tithing uh, in tithes and offerings. So Galatians chapter number three, verse number twenty-three. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring... Where's that little box thing at? There it is. To bring uh, us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now, uh, if, if I'm right... The Apostle Paul is writing to this church at Galatia, and he is giving instruction about the law. Now, Galatia, uh, they were notorious about trying to mix uh, different things with grace. And so he is bringing up the law, not to force them to keep the law, but rather to teach them what the law did. And uh, that's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, Paul says that before faith in Christ, that God's people were kept under the law. But now, uh, now we have grace, now we have faith in a risen Savior. But before that, it says in verse 23 that they were shut up unto faith. In other words, they were sealed unto faith. And so, that ought to get us a little excited about our forefathers in the faith that though they did not have the cross in their sights, they could not sing the old rugged cross, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, trust and obey." Uh, they, they had literally to walk by faith, and uh, that helped them through their walks of life. Now, we do have those things, and so we can look back on those and gain help, but we also have the Holy Spirit. Uh, in us. And so Paul said there in verse 24 that the law was their schoolmaster, but the reason being, look in the middle of the verse, to bring us unto Christ that we may be justified by faith. And so the law is what we'll deal with with half of this message and then we'll get into the New Testament. And I do want to remind you again that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, though they were written at the time of Christ, they were still written to a people that was under the law. And so you'll see some differences uh, in that. But tonight we're going to take our Bibles and we're going to be all over the place, try my best to keep it in order so you're not flipping back and forth. 
forth. We'll start in the book of Genesis, chapter number 14. Gen, uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter number 14. And uh, we'll mainly be reading some scriptures. We're not going to give a whole lot of uh, attention to uh, uh, to what I say necessarily, but rather we want to look at the scriptures. Genesis chapter number 14, verse number 20. Um, Abraham has met a man by the name of uh, Melchizedek or Melchizedek, however you want to say it. And he is, uh, Melchizedek is the, the king of Salem, but in verse number 17, I believe, could be verse number 18. Verse number 18, it says that he was the priest of the Most High God. And so, the very first time that we see the word tithe mentioned is actually in the plural. And now, we're, we're, we're studying this because, not because you're not giving your tithes, I don't want you to think I'm browbeating you. I feel like God's blessed and, and everybody's doing what's right. I don't know. Brother Jim, do I ever ask you what these people give? I just don't do that. That's not me. I don't feel like uh, it's any of my business. Now, uh, if the Lord impresses me to preach to the point where we're browbeating you about tithes, you'll know the difference. But that's not what I'm doing tonight. Uh, but I do want to give you what the Bible says about this, not what tradition and not what history says. I want us to see what the Word of God says about this. So the very first time the word tithe is mentioned is in the plural. He says in verse number 20, and this is Abraham, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes of all. Abraham gave tithes to who? He gave it to Melchizedek, but the reason being was not because he was the king of Salem, but because he was the priest of God. The Bible actually says the priest of the Most High God. And so uh, he was doing this. This is the very first time that we see this. And there seems to be no precedent of tithing, of giving a tenth, and we'll mention that here in just a moment. There seems to be no precedent of giving to someone up until Genesis chapter number 14, verse number 20. There is what I can tell, no direct law that states, thou shalt give a tenth part of your earnings, of your substance to the Lord. There is that phrasing is not in your King James Bible. But if we were to look over in Leviticus chapter number 20, hold your hand there in Genesis, we do need to look over in Leviticus chapter 27, verse number 30, and we'll see what the law actually says. Y'all still with me? We're just on the first point. Y'all still with me? Okay, it says in verse number 30, Leviticus chapter number 27, this is the law of God. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. Did you, did you get that? It is the Lord's and it is holy unto. In other words, it has been, it has been set apart for the Lord's. And so you've heard preachers for decades now saying that that tenth, that tithe of what we give, it's already the Lord's. You better give it back to Him. Somebody help me that. Help me there. Uh, it, it is not yours. It's already been consecrated to God. Now let's go back into Genesis chapter number 28. 
Genesis chapter number 28, verse number 22. Genesis 28, Jacob here is the, is, he, he's first and foremost in this entire chapter. Uh, you see that he, in verse number 11, he stopped, he tarried there all night. The sun was set, he took stones, he placed them on a pillow, he fell asleep, he dreamed, he saw a ladder set up there in verse number 12. As you go down, verse number 16, he awaked out of his sleep. He said, the Lord is in this place. Verse number 18, he rose up, he took the stone that he had for pillows, he put it up for a pillar or an altar, if you will, not one that he sacrificed by, but one that other people could see and know that this was a place of God. Verse 19 says that he called the place Bethel, uh, but uh, he called the name of, the, uh, of it Bethel. Uh, in verse number 20, he vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on. Here it is, verse number 21 uh, and verse 22. So that I come again unto my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillow shall be uh, God's house and all that thou shalt give me I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Now, this tenth is not the first time that you find the word tenth in your Bible, but in this use as a, as a fraction unto God, this is the first time that you will see it. And so, uh, Jacob has just had a vision from God. He's just built an altar or set up a pillar in uh, reverence to God. And the very first thing that he does is say, God, from this point on, I'm going to give you a tenth of what I have. Now, don't you see that this precedence is being set by men of God, our patriarchs that we look up to? This tithing is not something that we just do. If it, And I'll go one step further and kind of go to the end of this. If tithing is just something that you do because you're afraid the preacher is going to preach against you, or because you're afraid of what the treasurer might say to you, you're doing it for the wrong reason. We're doing this because we have a godly example throughout, and notice what I said, throughout Scripture that we should do it. Brother Jody, I thought for sure when we got to, to this, we'd go to Malachi and we'd go to a few places in, in, in the New Testament and we'd be done. But I want you to know, I've got... Five pages about tithing. So this is not something that we can just brush off. It's really something that we need to have. Y'all still with me? We're going to Nehemiah chapter number 10 now. Nehemiah chapter number 10. Nehemiah chapter number 10, okay? That's when you're going to go to the end of Second Chronicles. You'll see Ezra, Nehemiah, okay? Chapter number 10, verse number 12. You say, well, I don't, I don't like... I don't think that's even right. I think I, it's not right. It's somewhere around there. Hang on just a second. Well, I'll tell you what it's supposed to say, and then I'll find it and text you. How's that sound? Judah, wherever it's at, Judah, in whichever chapter in the book of Nehemiah it is, let me look at chapter 12. Verse number 10, nope, that ain't it. That's got names I can't pronounce. He, Judah, brings in tithes of corn, of wine, and oil into the treasures of the temple. In doing this, he is commanded to sustain the priest, 
He is commanded to light the lamps and to provide sacrifices for the nation or for the people. And so uh, these in, in this particular passage, these groups of people are to tithe as a community, and in doing so, they are to help sustain God's work, God's temple, God's uh, priest, God's sacrifices. So now we'll go to uh, Proverbs chapter number 3. Proverbs chapter number 3, verse number 9. I told you we're going to be just kind of going through here. I'm trying to be very mindful of time tonight, but I want to drive this home. Proverbs chapter number 3, verse number 9 and verse number 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruit of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Now, He says you need to honor the Lord. He said you're going to do that. You're going to honor the Lord by giving of your substance, by giving the first fruits, and by giving of thine increase. Now, I've heard all my life, and I believe I figured out who it was. And if you're here, I'm just going to go ahead and apologize on your behalf, not on mine. But I've heard all my life, preacher, I'm just giving him, I'm giving him tithe, of my time. I'm just going to work for the Lord. Well, that's great. I sure do appreciate that. But not nowhere does it say, honor the Lord with thy time. He says, honor the Lord with thy substance, with thy first fruits. And then he says, with thine increase. So I got to thinking, the way my mind works, I need to put a number to this. If we were, if we were on a daily basis to put our tithe or our time as a tithe to God, we would have to give every single day two hours and 24 minutes a day to God. Kurt, for a week... That's 16 hours and 48 minutes to God. Now, I told you I wasn't going to browbeat you, but it's hard as all get out to folks for folks to give up an hour on a Wednesday night, Sunday night, and two hours on Sunday morning. So don't, don't come running at me and say, God, uh, a preacher, I'm just going to give God my time. You may as well just put your time back in your pocket and don't worry about it. You may as well just say, God, not today. So he says, you need to give of your substance. You need to give of your first fruits, your increase. Now, some have said, what about talent? Well, I agree. You need to give, if God's given you a talent, you need to use it for the Lord. And, and this is kind of outside of the message, but I have Heard a lot of people say, boy, I love to hear, I'm going to name a country star. I love to hear Alan Jackson sing the old rugged cross. I love to hear Elvis Presley sing Amazing Grace. That's so precious. But I have, and and believe me, I'm not perfect. And so y'all just kind of, kind of keep that in mind. I know y'all think I am, but the only one that knows for sure is my wife and the Holy Ghost. 
and they're third cousins. But I have an issue with listening and enjoying a man sing the old rugged cross right after he sings about drinking and way down yonder on the Chattahoochee and all this other stuff. I have a hard time listening to the possum sing old hymn and then going on a beer run. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, if we're going to use our talents for God, we need to use them for God. I've heard, I've heard of some, some men that were saved. They were musicians. They were saved out of the bars. They were saved out of the music industry. And there were a lot of calls to go back. But because God had done something in them, they said, no, I've got to use my talent for the Lord. But I still, even though you're using your talent for the Lord, and we have some talent in here, I don't think that that's where the Old Testament is taking us. I don't think he's saying that we ought not to honor the Lord with our our tithes, if you will, of talent. He says of your substance. Now, if we were to go substance, we can define it two ways. Everything that we have or everything that we are. And I personally feel like it is both. Everything that we are and everything that we have, we need to honor the Lord with it. Now, let me see if I can stay in the right place without hitting the wrong button. That was Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 9, verse number 10. Now we'll turn over to Malachi. This is the one that everybody goes to. Malachi chapter number 3. This is the last book of the Old Testament. We are sure enough getting to the New Testament. We're at the top of page 2 if that helps you out. Malachi chapter number 3, verse number 8. While you're getting there, I'm just going to give you this and we'll, we'll go... In Malachi, chapter number 1 and chapter number 2 contains a message from God, a message through Malachi to the priests of the day. Chapter number 2 and chapter number 3, they contain a message to the people. But if you were to look, and I've under, I didn't go through everything, but if you look 11, verse, in chapter 2, verse 11, verse number 12, verse number 13, God has given them down the road. He's telling them about their sins. But then in verse number 14, God says, Yet ye say, Wherefore? When did we do that? If you go over to chapter 2, verse 17, Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet ye say, Wherein have we wearied Him? Now, you see the same thing, this back and forth, back and forth in chapter number 3. In verse number 7, return unto me and I will return unto you. Wherein have we, shall we return? Verse number 8, this is where we want to get to. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? God answers in tithes and offerings. Verse number 9, ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Let's go ahead and read verse number 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out blessing, a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now again, I prove my point of what's going on here in verse 13. Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. 
Yet ye say, what have we spoken so much against thee? That sounds an awful lot like a New Testament church to me. God's sending a message. God's sending a message. And everybody's like, who, me? What have I done? What, when did I do that? Well, every time that has been said in the book of Malachi, God answers. Every time the people were accused of something and they rebutted and said, what have I done? How have we done that? What have I not done? God answers them. And so God in verse number 8 says, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. He asked a question, brother Jim, then he answered it. He said, will a man rob God? You have. It sounds to me like Nathan and David. You remember David had sinned with Bathsheba and she had gotten pregnant with a little baby. The little baby was holding on to life. And Nathan came and gave him a dire circumstance. And David said, well, they ought to die. Who is this so I can mete out judgment? And the old preacher man stuck his crooked finger in David's face and said, thou art the man. So here, Malachi, under the inspiration of God, is saying, God said, will a man rob God? Will a man rob me? He says, you have robbed me. But they said, wherein have we robbed thee? How have we robbed thee, God? He answered them in tithes and offerings. Why Why do we, in our church, and I'm not talking about any other church, I'm not going to get on Contemporary Church. I'm not going to get on First Baptist Church. I'm talking solely about Lighthouse Baptist Church. This, why do we pray? Because Jesus taught it. Jesus was an example. Because Peter taught it. Peter was an example. Because Paul taught it. Paul was an example. Because men of God, throughout the Word of God, taught it. And we're examples of it. Why do we tithe? Because from Genesis to Malachi in the Old Testament, God's Word and God's men expressed it and were examples of it. And so as we segue into the New Testament, we find still, Brother Deke, that it is a necessity. He says this, after, he says you're cursed in verse number 9. He says, you've, you've robbed me. And he said, this whole nation's cursed. But I'm glad in verse number 10, he says, but I've got a solution. I've got a solution in verse number 10. He, I, and I love the way he says this. He says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there, be meat, there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith. He says, put me to the test. Now, if there's ever a time that God needs to be put to the test, it's right now. You say, why, why would you say that, preacher? Because so many people have called themselves enlightened by society that they've forgotten truly to depend on God. I was talking to a few folks just the other day, and they were talking about how much the starting wage is at different restaurants and different places of business. And yet there's still people in that business that are only making $10, $11, $12 an hour. Some are still making the, the minimum wage at, what is it, seven twenty-five, seven something dollars. And yet other folks are being hired in at a, a higher wage doing the exact same thing. People have so, have become so dependent on on money, on substance, that they've forgotten to depend on God. 
And God says, you've robbed me and you've not given to me tithes and offerings. You've not done what you're supposed to do. But I'm going to tell you what, you're cursed now. But if you will bring the tithes and the offerings in, He said, and if you will prove me, not prove to me, but prove me, prove what I say is true. If you bring it to me, He says, I will do something in return. What does He say? He says, you you prove me herewith and see if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now you tell me that ain't proven God. What would it be like if, church, what would it be like? Are you on a tight budget tonight? It's okay to say amen right there. We all ought to be on a tight budget because we don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. But if you're on a tight budget, you don't know where your next meal is going to come from, go ahead and give to God. And the Bible has said plainly, I realize this is the Old Testament, but it's still the Word of God. Somebody say amen right there. He has said plainly, if you will give it to God, He will open up the windows of heaven and He will pour out a blessing. And He goes on to say that there will not be room enough to receive it. There's a man by the name of, uh, just, just got him today, so if, if, if I pronounce his name wrong, I apologize. But his name is Rod Matoon, M-A-T-T-O-O-N. He said here in Malachi chapter number 1, chapter 2, and chapter number 3, he said the individual was cursed for offering corrupt sacrifices. He said the priesthood was cursed for hypocritical service. But he said the nation was cursed for robbing God, God of tithes and offerings. I was talking to a man on, on the way to church just before I left. And he said he, he's noticed something throughout the Scripture about these tithes and offerings, this tenth part. He said it was before the law. Abraham gave a tithe before the law. It was during the law. There in Leviticus it said that during the law. Here, during the law. But then he even said after the law. And we'll see some of those in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Timothy, Hebrews. We'll see Acts, we'll see that it's true, that tithes is throughout the Scripture. Another preacher said that I would hate to know that somebody under the law gave more to God than I did while under grace. Let that sink in there just for a minute. Next, we're going to go to Matthew chapter number 23. Matthew chapter number 23, verse number 23. He's talking to the Pharisees here. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, or cumin, Braylon, how am I supposed to say that word? Cumin, excuse me. And have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought to ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. So, quite simply, here in verse 23, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. He says, you've done some of these, but you've left a lot of them undone. He says, you've done these, and we'll give you proof of this. He said, you've done these things so that you can get notoriety. 
you've done these things that you could get a, a sounding that you have done it. You can get a public pat on the back. But the things, he says, of mercy and faith and judgment, he said, you've not done those things. And so now we come into the New Testament and we find first woe unto the Pharisees. They've paid their tithes, but I believe they've paid them out of obligation. They've paid them begrudgingly, if you will. I think that they've paid them because of notoriety, as I've mentioned there. But if we look back in the book of Matthew, chapter number 6, verse number 1, Jesus again, He's speaking. Now, uh, me and Lori had a conversation about this uh, a little bit earlier. And we find that in verse number, uh, really verse number, two, or excuse me, chapter number 24, starts the Olivet Discourse. So Jesus is preaching on the side of the mountain of, Mount of Olives, and He begins to speak. But from what I can tell here, He is, according to, according to um, verse number 3, He's speaking privately to His disciples. So we find chapter 24, chapter 25, and then he finally ends it at the end of chapter number 25. But if we go over to cha- uh, yeah Matthew chapter number 6, we find that he is not speaking just to the disciples, but he is speaking to all that are in attendance. Chapter number 5 says that when he was set, his disciples came to him. Verse 2, he opened his mouth and taught them. But then we look at the end of chapter number 7, it is, in verse number 28, and it says, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. So Jesus is speaking to an open crowd of people in chapter number 6. And in verse number 1, he begins to tell them, Three illustrations of secret giving. He says, take heed that ye do not your arms, alms before men. There's number one. To be seen of them. He says, otherwise ye have no reward of your father which is in heaven. So here he says, don't give your alms before men. If you look in chapter, in verse number two, I believe it is, he says, do not sound a trumpet as you give. He says over in verse number, uh, I believe it's verse number three, he says, do not let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. So Jesus is saying, when you give, don't give and blow the trumpet, hey, look what I'm giving, but rather do it secretly. And I think that's the way it ought to be. I like I like that we have um, what do you call it? offering envelopes. I like that, and I like when people come up and they get that. And it makes me wonder, brother Jim, ooh, how many thousand bills do they have in there? But again, it's none of my business. And you may differ on that. You may think that I'm supposed to look at that. I don't. I, I don't feel like it's it's where I'm. That's not what God's called. He's not called me to be a banker. Somebody help me right there. That's why we have brother Jim. And he's done a good job so far, so I think we'll just keep him hired on. We'll give him two zeros instead of one. So, we see that the Pharisees were warned because of their way of giving. In Matthew chapter 6, we were instructed on how to give. We ought to give privately. Now, let's turn to Mark chapter number 12. 
We're still going, trying to hurry. I'd like to be done here in just a couple of minutes. Mark chapter number 12, verse number 42. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and said, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance. But she of her want or her need did cast in all that she had, even all her living. And so in Mark chapter number 12, verse number 42, we'll go back a little earlier in the same chapter in a moment, but this widow gives out of her necessity. She ca- The Bible says that Jesus said she cast more in even though others cast abundantly in because she gave out of her want. She gave out of her need. In Luke chapter number 21, verse number 4, the same situation here. And Jesus says she gave out of her penury, which means extreme poverty. She gave even when she didn't have to give. I guess we could probably go and look over that woman there at Zarephath. You remember, she gave to the preacher man even though she didn't have. But what did God do? He supplied her need. She said her and her boy was going, her boy was going to find a few sticks and she was going to build a fire and cook the last little bit of meal with the meal and the oil that she had. But preacher come in and just like all preachers, they like to eat and he said, how about you fix me a cake first? She said, yes sir. And she did it. And what happened? The cruise of oil and the barrel of meal stayed. So there's another proof about giving to God. Now, I told you earlier in Mark chapter number 12, verse number 13 down through verse 17, I'm not going to read it for time's sake, but Jesus says in verse number 17, they've, they've brought him a penny. The Pharisees have tried to get him, tried to trap him, and he said, bring me a penny. He may not have said penny, I can't remember now. But he said, bring me a coin. He said, whose head's on it? They said, Caesar's. He said, render under Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And so here we find that there are times that, yes, we're going to have to pay taxes. Now, we know if you don't pay taxes, guess what? You get another fine. If you don't pay that fine, eventually there may be prison time. But we sure do like to cheat God a whole lot. So he says you do render under Caesar's, but make sure you render unto God what is God's. If it belongs to God, let's... Go on. Let's not turn there, but you can you can mark this down. Luke chapter number six, verse number thirty-eight. It says, "Given it shall be given unto you." But verse number thirty-three, Jesus begins a litany of instructions. He says in verse thirty-three, he said, "Do good." In verse thirty-five, he says, "Love your enemies." Verse thirty-six, he says, "Be merciful." In verse thirty-seven, he says, "Judge not." But verse thirty-eight, he says, "Give." And it shall be given unto you. But then he says this. Press down, shaking together, running over. I feel the need to say this. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it before. But some time ago, uh, I was in a meeting. And uh, I was impressed to give a certain amount of money. And I didn't have the money to give. But God said to do it. And if I've learned anything, best just go ahead and obey and so I did that, and that was on a Tuesday morning, I believe. 
Wednesday coming back, I had, really had no idea what was going to go on. Somebody asked me to help them do something, so I did that on Thursday and on Friday. And I had another event on Saturday. And on Sunday, both of those people gave me an envelope with money in them. And the one gentleman gave me exactly what I needed to replace what I had given. As far as I'm concerned, Ms. Denisha, God did what, he, what I asked Him to do. He replaced it all good. Now, I'm talking about pressed down, shaking, overflowing, whatever it's in. Brother Deke, the other man, gave me another $500 on top of that. Now, you tell me that ain't God doing what He said He's going to do. Did I deserve any of that? Absolutely not. But all I know, church, is that we do this because God Himself has given us an example of doing it. He says, if you give to me, I'll give back. Acts chapter number 2. The early church, this is chapter number 2, verse 45. You can look at it later. The early church sold their possessions. They sold their goods. Why? To help another and to help all men. So we've been dealing with tithes up to this point. But now we see a picture of offerings. Tithes and offerings, those are two different things. What we do, and by the way, this coming Sunday, we'll take up our missions offering, uh, but we normally take up our tithes every Sunday, but then typically on the first Sunday of the month, we take up a missions offering. It is extra. It is not your tithes. Y'all listen. It is not your tithes split into two. It is your tithes... And it is an offering. Okay? If there's one thing you better best give is your tithes. The offerings, yes, God will bless. The offerings, God will honor that. But I don't know that we can find evidence that we are commanded to give offerings. Even though the early church, again, gave us a great example of doing so. So, there's a difference between tithes and offerings. Acts chapter 20. Verse number 32, down through verse 35. Here's another example of offerings. And, and there's more, I just forgot to write them down. Or I couldn't read them when I wrote them down. Verse number 34, Paul says that he was, their giving, their giving ministered unto Paul's necessities and others. In verse 34, 35, excuse me. Now we're in Acts chapter number 20. Verse 35, it says that their giving supported the weak. And he reminded them of Christ's words, it is better to give than to receive. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Paul's talking to the church at Corinth. This is, this is, uh, they've got some age on them. They've got some learning on them. And he says, I want you to give in store, lay up in store on the first day of the week, he says there in verse number 1. He says, because I don't want you to take an offering when I'm there. He said, go ahead and get it out of the way. Get what everybody needs out of the way. When I come, I don't want to worry about taking up offering. I want to preach. And so he says, I want you to, on the first day of the week, give your... He says, lay up in store. I believe we, we go back. We give our offerings on that first day of the week. Second Corinthians chapter number 8, chapter number 9. Paul teaches and he admonishes the church about giving. 
this Corinthian church, they had already given abundantly as evidenced by Paul's own writing, but he says by their zeal in giving, they had proved or they had... Um, I'm going to have to turn over there. They have inspired many. He actually says very many. I'll, I'll try to find that reference. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, verse number 6 and 7, he says, if you spoke so sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. I have to say it again, Brother John. He sowed bountifully this year, and he reaped bountifully, didn't you, Brother John? I have a four by eight little raised garden, and I sowed sparingly. It was on, pers- it was on purpose. I wasn't greedy. I just, the, the only place I had. I got about maybe six or seven tomatoes. I got so far three bell peppers, and they, they're all wonky. They don't even look like a bell pepper. I got a couple of handfuls of beans. I had three, listen to this, I had three watermelons. I was so excited. So excited, Brother Jim, I was checking on my tomatoes and I stepped on one. Another one rotted and I started babying the other one and it just finally gave up growing. The vine and everything died. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. He also said there in verse number 7 that we ought to purpose in our heart. He gives the idea of not grudgingly, not out of necessity, or not by constraint as if you were uh, uh, forced. He goes on there in the end of verse number 7, I believe. He said, God loveth a cheerful giver. This word cheerful, it is hilarious. It also means to be prompt or willing. If there's a need, you jump into action to help the need. So, now, very quickly, some warnings. Ananias and Sapphira is is probably our biggest New Testament warning. Acts chapter number 5, you can read it. Pentecost had happened in in chapter number 2. Chapter 3, 4, people were getting saved. The church was growing. Chapter 5, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, they had a piece of land. They sold it. Nothing wrong with having. Nothing wrong with selling. Nothing wrong with getting. The problem that they had was they said, essentially, and I'm just paraphrasing because I don't want to take the time to read it, but they essentially said, we, we sold it for, let's just say, $10,000, let's say we sold it for seven and give off of that. What happened? Anybody tell me? They both died. Why? Wasn't it Peter that said, why, why didn't you just... He kind of gave him an option. Just keep it or be honest. When you had it, it was yours. You could have done what you wanted to do with it. But instead, they not only lied, and I, please don't misunderstand me, they not only lied to the man of God, but they lied to God. And God struck both of them down. Y'all still with me? Okay, three of y'all are. Some warnings. I think we need to be very careful about where our money comes from. I, I've heard this for years. The first time I ever heard the word lottery was down in Florida. 
and uh, we didn't even have a lottery. We would, my, my, almost said who? We had some kin folks that would drive up and they would play the Georgia lottery. And then they'd, they'd win and then they'd, they'd go back and spend it. And then some preachers got wind of all this and they began to preach on the lottery. And one preacher said, I don't care if they win a million dollars. If they're going to give half of it to the Lord, let's bring it on. And while I may be apt to receive that for Lighthouse Baptist Church, I do not encourage nor condone the lottery. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures about this. Proverbs chapter number 13. I'm trying to hurry. Proverbs chapter number 13, verse number 11. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. Vanity is is vapor, emptiness, fruitless desire, trifling labor that gains nothing or produces no good. That's what he said there at the beginning. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. It's not worth anything. But then we have a redundant statement here in the end. He says, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. So essentially he says, if you'll go and work, and by the way, work, you will increase. Because the idea of gathering is working. But he says, if you'll gather by labor, this is a double illustration that says, if you will work, you will increase. Another is Ecclesiastes chapter number 5. I'm going to tell on myself here in just a minute. Ecclesiastes chapter number 5, verse number 10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. I want to be very clear right here that having money is not wrong. He didn't say, if you have silver, you'll never be satisfied. He didn't say, uh, sorry, my words ran together. If you have abundance, you'll not be satisfied. But he says, if you love it. If you love silver and you love abundance, he says, you won't be satisfied with increase. You know what you want? You want more. You'll want more. I went out to lunch with Brother Terry and Sister Tabitha on Sunday. And somehow or another, somehow or another, I got on cruises. And uh, y'all know what I'm finna say. And uh, our very first cruise is only three days, and it's just me and Lori and a couple other people. And uh, I, I left them, and I went Galavan. I wanted to see. I was wanting, I was wanting to steer the boat, I'll just be honest with you. I was hoping to find the right door and just see if they'd let me. I didn't find it, but I found all kinds of other doors, and I found the casino. And I said, I have never been in a casino. I mean, lights everywhere, bells, whistles everywhere. And, Brother Jim, there wasn't nobody in there. I looked around everywhere to see if anybody was watching me go in. There's only ten people that knew I was a preacher on the entire boat. Maybe fifteen. But I was looking around. I walked in very easy, looked in. And I just happened to have a couple of dimes in my pocket. And this machine, Brother David, took dimes. I said, I'm fixing to play this thing. But Samuel, grab that. Before I ever dropped it, I'm looking. I'm looking around. And I, I did it quick as I could, Miss Barbara. I dropped it. And 
And, and from here to here, I was like, God, please don't let me win. Because if I win, I'm going to have to tell all these people where I got this money from. And so I was telling Tabitha and Terry that the other day. My point in telling it is we need to be careful where our money comes from. Now, you know, if, if I had won $1,000, I probably would have been so guilty, I would have just gave it all away. I'd have tried to give it all away before the Lord found out about it, but I think He already knew. But we need to be very careful about where our tithes comes from. Remember what I said earlier that it already belongs to God? And so what has been, what belongs to God has been consecrated to God. And we don't want to take what's consecrated to God and defile it. And so, this is a reason why we give our tithes and offerings. First Timothy chapter number 6, verse number 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. I've known quite a few people that have never had anything. They've never been able to go out and buy great things or do a whole lot. But they were content. Paul says, I, I have learned therewith to be content. Whatsoever state I, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Paul says, I, I, I'm content whether I've been abased or whether I've been lifted up. He said, I'm satisfied where God wants me. And the people that, and, and I've known people on both spectrums. Folks that have plenty of money and they are close to God. They're right with God and God blesses them. And then I've seen people that they don't have anything. They don't have anything. And they're right with God and God blesses them, gives them exactly what they want. But I've known a whole lot of people that are somewhere in between there and they somehow end up getting and spending more than they got and they're worse off before they got. I don't know if that makes sense. It does in here, but... So, he says, godliness with contentment is great gain.